want you to think about the last time you rode a roller coaster. Or maybe the last time you watched someone ride a roller coaster. Uh, What's really interesting about uh, going on a roller coaster is how uh, people sharing virtually the same experience can have very different reactions, right? Most roller coasters have that place where it's the most death-defying, you know, upside-down spin or hill. And what do they do at that spot? They take your picture, right? And the reason they do that is so you can see how weird or crazy or fearful the people around you look. And then you can decide whether you want to buy that for blackmail later on. And so I thought we'd start with just showing a few of these pictures where people are on the exact same ride, but experiencing it very differently. Look at these. <laughs> I think the mom or sister, whoever that is on the left, is a little different experience. I'm not sure he makes the height chart either. I don't know what's going on there, but obviously he knows he's about to die. Okay. Uh, here's another one. Now, don't miss it, because if you don't look at this, look at, look at the people in the very back versus our friends in the front seat, okay? A little different experience. And then we got one more, just one more. See if you can find it. Let's zoom in for a close-up. <laughs> How is it that people can be experiencing what seems like the exact same thing on the outside, yet on the inside, it is felt very differently? Life is kind of like those roller coaster rides in those pictures. It has lots of ups and downs and unexpected twists and turns. And what's really interesting is how two people can experience it very differently. One person can be gripped with fear and worry, anxiety and depression, while the other person who seemingly is sitting right next to them on this ride called life, virtually experiencing the same thing, looks like they're having a great time. And if you've ever been the person sitting in the seat dealing with anxiety, anxiety or depression, you can look around and you can think, what's wrong with me? I mean, why can't I enjoy this same experience the way it seems like they are or all those other people are? Today, we're talking about this very important topic, anxiety and depression. And as we begin today, I want to let you know a few things right up front. Uh, I have a few goals and a few things I just want to let you know right up front. Uh, The first one is that I know this is a sensitive topic and we all come at this from varying uh, levels of experience and expectation today. Some of you from the time that we started this series five weeks ago, you saw this topic was on the lineup and you've been looking forward to it for five weeks. And you are excited today and you're anticipating how God is going to use this message to encourage you and to help you with with anxiety or depression. Others of you show up today and you didn't know what we were talking about and now you know what the subject is and you're getting anxious and and you're experiencing anxiety because you're like, man, what is this guy going to say and 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 how am I going to react to this? I, I was maybe wasn't ready. And you're thinking about you know jumping up and running out. Or if you're watching online, welcome. Thanks for being a part of this. Or any of our other congregations. Maybe you're thinking about closing that browser window and going, I'm just not ready to to have this conversation or, or this discussion uh, or to talk about this. And I want to let you know right up front that my only goal today is that you would walk out of here and you would be encouraged. 
We, uh, we don't guilt people around here. We don't do, you know, drive-by guiltings and shamings. And so you can relax. My only goal is that you would walk out of here day, today encouraged and knowing that there is hope. The second thing I want you to know right up front is that uh, we're going to look at what scripture has to say about this. And that might be a new idea to you that scripture actually talks about this subject. Um, in fact, the Bible is far from silent on this topic. It has a lot to say. And we're going to look at one story specifically today where somebody that kind of has hero status in the scriptures actually dealt with great levels of fear, anxiety, and even depression. And we don't have time to go into all the stories. There are many, but I'm just going to show you one. And I think you'll be surprised what scripture has to say and show us about this subject. And then here's the third thing I want to let you know right up front and kind of set the stage for what we're going to talk about today. That is this. I am not a doctor. I am not a psychiatrist or psychologist. I'm not a counselor, but I am a human being who struggles and deals with the same things that you do. And I'm a pastor who has watched and walked alongside many, many people over the years that have dealt with and are dealing with the subjects that we're talking about today. Now, anxiety and depression affects so many people in our world, both young and old. And if you've ever dealt with these issues, I want you to know that you're not alone and there is hope. And I think it's so unfortunate that in our society uh, for so long, there has been um, a negative view, often a stigma placed on emotional sickness or mental illness. And it's not just been in our society, sadly, it's also been in the church. And if you have struggled with anxiety or depression, I want you to hear me clearly right up front today. It is not a sin to be sick. And if you ever had a pastor or group leader say something to you like, you just need to pray more, or you just need to have stronger faith, or maybe even worse, somebody told you that the reason you are struggling with that is because you must have some unconfessed sin in your life. I'm sorry they said that to you, and they are wrong. You would never think less of someone or condemn someone with a physical ailment like a broken leg, right? I mean, you wouldn't look at somebody with a broken leg and say, you need more faith. Like, you need to pray more. What's wrong with you? Like, no, you, you would never do that to somebody that has a physical ailment. Yet, why is it that we often look at and think differently when somebody has an emotional ailment or a mental illness? And we even do this to ourselves if we're the ones struggling with these things. We can often think, well, God, would you just take this away from me? But would you ever pray that for a broken leg? Right? God, would you just take this away from me? You would never pray that for a broken leg. What would you do? I mean, what would you do if you had a broken leg? And what would you pray for if you had a broken leg? Here's what you would do. You would pursue healing for that broken leg. And you would pray for healing. And what I want you to know right up front when it comes to this idea of healing today is this. Grab that outline, open up your app. I want you to take some notes today. Here's the first thing I want you to understand when it comes to this idea of healing. Write this down. Healing is a process. It's almost always a pathway. That's what healing is. Let's, let's go back to this broken leg analogy, right? How is it that God would heal a broken leg? Through a process, many steps and many people. Right? What, what are you going to have to do first? Well, first, you're going to have to go see the doctor, and they're going to probably have to reset the bone depending on how bad the break is. That's going to be painful. 
Then they're going to put you in a cast, and depending on how severe the break is and where it is, for probably anywhere from four to eight weeks. That's going to be uncomfortable. Then you're going to have to go back in four or eight weeks, and they're going to take the cast off. And then you'll probably, for a couple weeks, have to use crutches and, and slowly be able to gain strength back or maybe still wear a boot on that foot, depending on where the break is. That's going to be, you know, inconvenient. You're going to have to go to physical therapy and learn how to reuse that in the right way and gain strength in, the, in that muscle and make sure that the bone is healthy. It's going to be a process that's going to involve many steps and many people. Here's my question as we begin. Why do we think healing in our emotions or in our mind is going to be any different than the process of healing in our body. It's going to happen the same way. God wants to heal you, and you need to know it will most likely happen by a process involving many steps and many people and resources. But I want you to know today, you can be healed, and there is hope. Now to our one story in Scripture. I'm going to look at a story today that centers around a person in the Old Testament by the name of Elijah. Let me tell you who he was. Uh, Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the first half of the Bible, tells the, st- the story and the history of the nation of Israel. And Elijah was a prophet. And a prophet simply means it was a person that God chose to speak to his people, the nation of Israel, on behalf of him. And so God would tell the prophet, I want you to go and I want you to tell the king this, or I want you to go. Sometimes the prophet would stand before the whole nation of Israel and say, this is what God says. This is what God wants us to do. And so Elijah wasn't just any prophet. Elijah was one of the greatest prophets in the history of the nation of Israel. And he wasn't a weak man. He was a brave, courageous, even heroic man. Yeah, we're going to look at a chapter today in, the, in Scripture where you're going to see that he suffered greatly with fear, anxiety, and even depression. And we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 19 that tells us this story. But to understand what we're going to read in 1 Kings 19, you need to know the backstory of 1 Kings 18. I don't have time to get into it in great detail, but read these two chapters of the Bible on your own this week. It is a crazy, awesome, wild story. And in 1 Kings 18, here's what you need to know about Elijah. Before he has this anxiety, fear, and depression, he has the greatest victory moment of his entire life. Where at this point in history, the, the, uh, God's people are led by a wicked king who has turned his heart away from God and his wife. The king is named Ahab. His wife is named Jezebel. And instead of worshiping the one true God, they started worshiping an idol, a false God from, from a local neighboring group of people. And that idol was called Baal. And they led most of the people in the nation of Israel from turning their back on the one true God and worshiping Baal as well. And Elijah shows up in 1 Kings 18 and he says, let's have a throwdown octagon match to see whose God is God. Is it Baal or is it the one true God, Yahweh, Jehovah, the God who's led the nation of Israel? And so they have this like cage match where it's one prophet Elijah verse 450 prophets of Baal. And they basically like, okay, let's see whose God is God. And they build these altars and they say, whichever God answers by fire, that is the one true God. And you want to know what happens? You got to read it on your own this week. It's amazing. (laughs) 
I'll basically, I'll just, I'll just give you the cliff notes. The one true God answers by fire and, cons- and it's, it's this crazy, amazing story. So, so Elijah just has his greatest victory, right? Like he has prayed and God has answered his prayer in front of everyone. But then the, the queen Jezebel sends word to Elijah and says, oh, you've killed all 450 of my prophets. I left that up, that part out. That's in there. It's a crazy story. Uh, one verse 450. Um, now I'm going to kill you. You will not see the sunrise tomorrow. She puts a bounty on his life. And so this is where we pick up the story in chapter 19. Look at this. It's pretty wild. Here's what happens. Let's, let's read it. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. I'll just pause right there. What just happened the day before? God just answered his prayer. He just had this amazing victory over 450 people. Yet now he's running for his life because of the words of one. He went to Beersheba, which just pause, by the way, if you're going to run for your life, I always recommend your first stop should be in a town that starts with beer. All right, let's keep reading. Uh, A town in Judah and left his servant there. Okay, now this is important. He has a companion. He has a friend with him. He's not by himself. Yet he makes a mistake that when you're going through fear and anxiety and depression, you don't want to make. What did he do? He left his friend there. And look what it says. Then he went on how? How did he go on? Alone. He's all by himself into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. And then look at his prayer. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Elijah goes from this incredible victory to incredible internal darkness. He's in a dark, depressed place. And we have a few details of how he got there just from that little bit of his story. And so what I want to look at is what can bring anxiety and depression in our life. I'm going to give you a list of what can bring anxiety and depression in our life. Now, these first two, you might argue they are not in um, Elijah's story, but these are both very real causes, and I want to acknowledge them. The first one is this, trauma. Trauma is a very real cause of anxiety and depression, something we experience in our childhood or something that we didn't experience in our childhood, things that should have been said to us, told to us that maybe weren't, something we experience in our adult life can cause anxiety and depression into our lives. And we shouldn't hide it. We shouldn't be ashamed of it. We should get help and move towards healing. And I would argue Elijah experienced this, right? I mean, if you saw 450 people (laughs) lose their life, I think there might be some PTSD involved in that. And he had just seen that, right? So, So trauma is one. Here's another one, write this down. Biochemistry is another. This is very real. Something can shift in our brain or in our body and we need to get help or medication to get things in our mind or body in balance. In Elijah's case, here's some of the things that we start to see. What brought anxiety and, and, and depression to him is this, this next one, the unknown. Elijah didn't know if he was going to live or die. He didn't know if he'd see tomorrow or not. And, and, and that idea of the unknown can bring great anxiety. I um, Two of my three kids 
um, at different levels, but struggle with anxiety when it comes to anything new. Um, and one of them has kind of grown out of it a little bit. The other one still deals with that. And so as parents, my wife and I have had to learn, hey, how do we support and help our, our kid who anytime there's an unknown, like it's the first day of class and I don't, I don't know the teacher. I'm not sure who's all gonna be there. Every time it was a new join that little league team or join, you know, not just a little bit of fear and apprehension. I mean, real anxiety and kind of panic attacks. And maybe that's part of your story that anytime there's something unknown, like I, I'm not sure how this is going to go, it can bring great anxiety. Another thing that we see in Elijah's story that's maybe in your story is the unlikely can bring anxiety and depression. Our imaginations can run wild and often they run to the most extreme, unlikely, negative scenarios. And this is where Elijah was. Another one is the uncontrollable. When things are outside of our control, man, it can bring great anxiety and fear. Elijah had no control whether the queen would keep that bounty on his head or whether she would take that off. It was totally out of his control and it produced great anxiety. Another one you see in Elijah and and often in us is the unnecessary comparisons. This is a huge cause of anxiety in people's lives today. Did you catch it in Elijah's prayer? Elijah prayed this crazy prayer. He said, Lord, take my life. I'm no better than my, do you remember it? My ancestors, he makes this crazy comparison. Like, like basically my life is worth nothing. You know, they're already dead. I might as well be dead. And the truth is his life was very different than his ancestors. He was greatly used by God. He was somebody of big importance and significance in Jewish history. It just wasn't true. And we so often tell ourselves the same thing. We tell ourselves how awesome everyone else's life is and how terrible our life is. But we don't know everybody else's struggle. We don't know the things that they're facing just because it looks like they got their hands up on the roller coaster ride. Woo! Right? Like internally, we don't know what they're going through. And I think one of the biggest causes of this, there's a whole list of resources uh, that I just want to recommend to you. If you look at the bottom of your outline, I recommended several books, as well as if you go to our website, uh, at Eastlake Church, we have a huge list of mental health resources uh, that are available to you. Books, blogs, local counselors, support groups, all sorts of things. Um, and I would make sure you make yourself available to it. But one of the books that I read different parts of is a book called Anxiety Free. And one of the things that the author in that book talks about is that one of the reasons that kids and teenagers have such the levels of anxiety that that we have today that's so different than previous generations, his number one thing that he says is the unnecessary comparisons. Our access to information and social media cause us to compare ourselves against other people's lives constantly, 24-7, all the time. And we're home alone on Friday night, and then we look at somebody's post, and we're like, oh, look at their amazing life. You know, and then look at mine. And it's one of the biggest causes of anxiety. This is true for adults too. This unnecessary comparison. Another thing that we see in Elijah that causes anxiety in us today is isolation. Not only did Elijah feel isolated because of his leadership role and the real loneliness and weight of leadership, that if you are a leader, you know that that's true. Like if you're at the top of an organization or, or a unit in the military, I mean, there's just something different about being the person in charge. There's a weight to that and sometimes a loneliness to it, but you don't have to go at it alone. One of the mistakes Elijah make is that he dropped off his friend. 
And he went at it alone. He didn't have to do that. And even though there's a weight to leadership, don't go at it alone. Just like mold grows in darkness, depression grows in isolation. And then the last thing we see in Elijah and that we often do is this, false narratives and toxic stories. Psychologists call this rumination. We just re- keep repeating lies to ourselves about ourselves over and over and over again. The sad truth for many of us is this, that nobody has lied to us more than ourselves. Nobody's lied more to us than ourselves. And those negative playlists can be on repeat in our mind. That we're not good enough. God doesn't love us. This will never get better. But it's just not true. You you feel those things, but just because you feel those things doesn't make those things true. And I want to encourage you today with this idea that God won't leave you in that dark, depressed place. It doesn't have to be the end of your story. It wasn't the end of Elijah's story. Let's look back at his story. So he wants to die. He's depressed. He's by himself out in the middle of nowhere under a broom tree. And look at what God does for him. Let's look at it. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. Now remember, he's out in the middle of nowhere, right? Look at this. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. This is Grubhub before Grubhub. (laughs) It just shows up at his door. It's a miracle. And what's amazing here is that God realized he needed carbs also. Did you catch that? He needed carbs. So he ate and he drank and he lay down again. So he slept once. He got up and he ate and he drank. He went to sleep again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. Now, don't miss this because it's easy to miss in this little part of the story. That God didn't just tend to Elijah's spiritual need or his uh, emotional need. What did God actually take care of first? His what? Physical need. Isn't that interesting? You see, part of the pathway out of negative feelings that Elijah was experiencing was taking care of his physical needs. He was exhausted after what happened in chapter 18, and he was overwhelmed about his current circumstances. And God didn't say to him, Elijah, you need to pray more. Elijah, you just need to have more faith. If you would just believe, God didn't say any of that. What did God do? He attended to his physical needs first. He said, you need sleep, you need rest, you need food. You can't keep going like this. Rest up. And and it's not in this passage, but I think you could put uh, exercise in this same sort of category that now we call self-care. And did you know studies right now are saying that exercising just four times a week for 20 minutes have the same effect on your brain as antidepressant medication? like the positive benefits of what it does chemically for you. So God leads Elijah in some serious self-care. Then he leads him to another place in the wilderness where Elijah meets God directly. Now, I don't have time to get into all of the story, but uh, let me just give you the quick cliff notes is that Elijah goes farther away. He goes in this cave and he actually has these moments 
in like direct, direct, you know, close proximity to God himself. And God asked Elijah a question. In fact, he asked him this question twice. Look at it. Here's the question he asked Elijah. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, let me just pause and and give you a little hint on something if you're new to reading the Bible. If you're new to reading the Bible, whenever God asks someone a question, it's not because he needs to know the answer. Why? Because he's God. He's not like, would you tell me something I don't already know? No, God already knows. So think about it. Why is it? Because God asks a lot of questions in the Bible. And if you read the stories of Jesus, Jesus, when he was asked a question, almost always answered back with a story or a question itself. Why is it that Jesus and God always do this? Like ask a question. Here's why. Because God isn't just trying to give him the truth. He's trying to lead Elijah in discovering the truth for himself. And this is the way God wants to work in your life as well. God's not trying to just, you know, just, you know, throw the heavy truth on you and go there, learn it. No, he's trying to lead you in the truth so you will discover it for yourself. This is the way God always works. And so he asked Elijah, Elijah, what are you doing running? What are you doing all the way out here in the middle of nowhere? And he's trying to lead Elijah in truth. But Elijah is so stuck in that rumination cycle of negative thoughts and toxic stories that Elijah can't break out of it. And so God asked him the same question twice. And then what's funny to me is Elijah gives back the same answer twice. As if, you know, God needed clarity from the first answer. And so I jumped to the second one and here's how Elijah replied. He replied again, right? God's going, Elijah, what are you doing out here? And Elijah says, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. As if God's going to go, really? I had no idea. Thanks for that information, Elijah. And what's he doing? He's ruminating negative self-talk, toxic stories, right? They've torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. And then look at this last part. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. You hear it? Right? Like I am the only one, but God wouldn't let Elijah stay in his depression and darkness. And if you read it on your own, here's what you're gonna see this week. That God says to him, Elijah, I'm not done with you yet. I still have purposes for you. I still have plans for you. In fact, God says, here is your next assignment. This is not the end of your story yet. And then almost to like go, oh yeah, and by the way, you think you're the only one? Here's how God ends his conversation with Elijah. Then the Lord told him, These dots represent, I still have a plan. I still have a purpose. Here's your mission. And then I love this. God ends with, and yet will I preserve how many people? 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal. That's that false God. Or kissed him. In other words, Elijah, you think you're the only one? You think you're all alone? You're not. You're not alone. There's 7,000 other people that are faithfully still serving me. God brings loving truth in the middle of his despair. 
And I want to get real simple and practical as we close this out and give you some steps in the healing process that you need to remember and that you need to take when you find yourself in places of fear, worry, anxiety, and depression. And the first one is this, write it down. You are not alone. You are not alone. God reminded Elijah he wasn't alone. And I want to remind you that you are not alone. You are not the only one struggling with this. This church is full of people that have fought and battled the same issue that you are or currently are fighting and battling the same issue. And the enemy of your soul and mine would love for us to think whatever our struggle is, that we are the only one. Because the enemy of your soul wants to isolate you and keep you in darkness and keep you in depression, not allow you into God's light and purposes. And so you need to remember today, if you hear nothing else, you are not alone. You are loved by God and you are an important part of his family, this family, the church. The other thing I want you to remember is this, steps in the healing process. Get many kinds of help if you find yourself in these places of anxiety and worry. Understand there is no silver bullet. There's not gonna be one thing that you're gonna be able to do to overcome this. And this would be true in any struggle, right? I mean, we talked about marriage a few weeks ago. I talked about this uh, with some friends and, and married couples that I was talking to. I'm like, man, there's not gonna be one thing you're gonna be able to do. Well, we went and saw that counselor once and it didn't help. Really? Like there's no silver bullet. Let me just do that one thing. It's gonna take many things. We all need a lot of good friends. We all need a spiritual community around us. Go see a counselor, go see a therapist, take medication if prescribed, practice more self-care through exercise and rest, get all the help you can. And that leads to this, remember it takes time. Remember that broken leg analogy I started with? Healing takes time, so give it time. Don't put false expectations on the steps that you're taking that will cause you to give up too soon. Well, I took that medication for a week and it didn't help. They probably are gonna have to tweak it and change it. And you're gonna have to take it again. I went and saw the counselor twice and it didn't help. It might take 20. Don't give up too soon. Stay on the path of your healing and trust God to be with you through the journey. That leads to this one. You don't have to let it go Rather, transfer it over. Some people have just watched Frozen too many times. And their advice to people that are hurting are, you just need to let it go, right? Like, just let it go. And you're looking back at them like, hello, idiot. You think I wouldn't, you know, I, I've tried a million times. It's not that easy. This idea right here, transferring over instead of letting it go, it's one of the things that separate Christian faith from all other faith expressions in the world. Is that Christianity honestly stands on its own with a central savior, God himself, that doesn't say, I will help you if, if you get good enough, if you offer us enough sacrifices, if I deem you worthy, I might leave my amazing heavenly world and come into your dirty, nasty life and world if you do enough, if you sacrifice enough, if I deem you worthy. That is almost all other faith expressions. Christianity stands on its own with a savior that says, you don't have to go it alone. You don't have to carry it alone. Transfer it over. 
Give it to me. Let me walk with you and carry the burden and the weight for you. One of my favorite verses that express this is 1 Peter 5, 7. Here's what it says. Look at this. In fact, can we all read this out loud together? Everybody, all congregations, parent viewing rooms, patios, ready to begin. Since God cares for you, let him carry all your burdens and worries. Other translations of this say, cast, give all your anxiety to God because he cares for you. You see, we have a faith that doesn't just say, well, I just got to kind of let it go. No, no, no. Jesus says, give it to me and I will walk with you alongside you through it. That's what I will do. I want you to hear from someone in our church who has dealt with what we've talked about today. And I want you to listen how she has walked through many of these steps and how her faith of trusting Jesus to walk with her through it has helped her as well. This is Abby's story. I was 18 years old and I remember waking up in my college dorm room in the middle of the night and my body was panicking and my heart was racing, my chest was really tight, uh, my body was really warm and that was my first experience with anxiety. Over the next few weeks and months, I experienced panic attacks a lot. Um, they were happening during the day, uh, in school, in class, with friends, hanging out, um, and happening at night when I was sleeping. It was something that was robbing me of joy and being able to just enjoy life. In the season of asking a lot of questions, I sought out a professional counselor. I started to meet with my counselor weekly, and it actually brought a lot of peace to what I was feeling to help me understand where it was coming from. So even though it was still very much a season, I was experiencing them and they were happening possibly just as often as before I started seeing her. It helped me to have some answers to put a name to what was actually happening to me. So life continued through this process and journey of anxiety. I eventually got married and had two kids. A lot of times anxiety can come out of nowhere. And in that moment, I began to believe any type of catastrophic idea that my mind can come up with, any lie that, that isn't true. I could be driving and my mind will lead me to believe that I'm gonna get into an accident, that I'm gonna lose control of the car. I think about having my family in the car and it can turn into a much bigger idea than what is really happening. And there was a season of a lot of pain and difficulty that wasn't in my control. And this season of anxiety led me into a deep depression, a season of depression that I'd never known before. I lacked a lot of motivation to move forward in life and found myself in bed for a week and not being able to take care of my kids or show up for my husband. I remember my therapist saying, because this is new and a new, a different season of anxiety, she encouraged 
medication for the first time. And I remember thinking, yeah, right. Like, medication is not an option for me. I've done this for years before. I can get back up and do it. I'll be okay. And when she explained the process with the medication and how it could benefit me, I said yes. The medication essentially took my brain out of the fog and helped me be able to function how I needed to function on a day-to-day -day basis to be able to show up for my family. I was raised in church. I was raised in a home that believed that God is bigger than these things and that he is healer and he, he does miracles. And I remember at the very beginning of my journey in anxiety, I remember at the beginning of my journey in, with anxiety, um, crying on my knees, begging God to take it away. And I know that in my relationship with him, what he has shown me is that it's not a matter of him removing it. And even though it's difficult and I would want it to go away, I have come to the place of understanding that it's like Paul describes in the Bible, the thorn in his side, the one thing he begs God to take away, is in fact the one thing that keeps him humble and on his knees to Jesus. And that is exactly what anxiety has been for me. For in that process, I realized he was actually answering my prayer of maybe not in a miraculous way of immediately taking it away, but he gave me community. He's given me a loving husband to help me walk through that. It's a process and it's actually taken years for me to get to a, even a, a comfortable place of understanding that this might not ever go away. And I do still experience anxiety. But I know that I have the tools and the resources and I've done the work to get to a place where I have some sense of control. I have peace in my relationship with God that He will never leave me in this process and He will always stand by my side in it. Yeah. I so appreciate Abby's courage and bravery sharing her story with us. And I hope that it encourages you in your story, that God will be with you. And the last thought I want to give you today along those lines is this, that what you're going through right now, it's a chapter, not the conclusion. That you might be in the chapter right now that is super dark, that is, that is very discouraging, that is full of fear, that is full of anxiety. But I want you to know that it's just a chapter. It doesn't have to be the end of your story. Never put a period where God puts a comma. God's not done working. He will be as faithful to you as he was to Elijah and as he was to Abby. Our team is going to share a song with you right now that's called Rescue. During this song, I just want you to stay seated. 
I wanted you to consider what you heard today. And more importantly than that, I want you to consider how God is speaking to you right now. That in the middle of the place that you find your life right now, whether you're dealing with what we talked about today or you're not, or maybe someone that you love and care about is, how has God spoke to you through this? The title of the song you're gonna hear is called Rescue. And it's a beautiful song that is written from the perspective of God. It's God saying, I've heard your prayers. I know what's going on in your life. And even though it feels like I might be far away, I will never, there's a line in there that says, I will never stop marching towards you. I will never stop coming towards you. And I know it's gonna encourage you. I'm gonna pray for us and then I'm gonna come back out after the song uh, and dismiss. But I just want you to stay seated and I want to let God speak to you through this song. Let's pray. God, I know that you are here. I know that you love us even if we don't feel it. God, you love us so much. And Lord, I pray for any of our friends that are online or here that are dealing with fear, worry, anxiety, depression. God, would this song bring life to the darkness in our soul? That you are for us, that you haven't left us, that we are not alone But God, you are marching towards us with love and grace and strength and healing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.